This episode may contain content of a graphic nature. Listener discretion is advised. Thanks for joining us today on another episode of Body to Burial. I'm Mariah. And I'm Nikki. We're just two regular true crime junkies who decided it was time to see crime from a new perspective. This is Body to Burial. So who are we talking to today? We have Samantha and she is an embalmer and a funeral director, I believe. Funeral director and embalmer. Yes. Well, you've just like rounded out our our entire uh, dispositions. Right? This will be good. This will be like a full circle. I'm really excited because I really have no clue what really is embalming like at all. I do because... If you listen to our podcast on death doulas with Aaron and Lauren, um, our conversation with them like totally sparked my interest. So, you know, I went and did the death doula class um, and they talked through the process of embalming and the steps. And it's a lot. There's a lot. I'm not going to spoil anything because I do want Samantha to speak to it as she's somebody who does it. But it's a lot. It's not what I thought it was. I was a little shocked. I just know about it like that it like preserves like where you can like you can wait a while for to have a funeral or you can have like an open yeah. casket or something. I have gotten a little hint at what it is. I mean, I think you've hit like you nutshelled it well, right? Like it's for preserving the body. It's for restorative purposes for like open funerals. Um, not open funerals. That's weird. Open <laughs> caskets. <laughs> kind of like wedding crashers. Um, I guess like I understand the reasoning as to why someone uses it. I guess I didn't understand like how invasive the process was. Ugh. That's what kind of took me back. I'm excited. Let's get this rolling. All right. Hi, this is Mariah from LinkedIn. Yes, it's me. I'm so excited. Okay, let me um just add Nikki really quick. Hold on. Nikki, are you there? Yeah. Hey, Samantha, it's Nikki. Hi. Nikki and I take turns kind of like leading around and it's Nikki's turn, so. Good, sounds good. I know nothing about embalming. I'm excited to find out about it. Yeah, she wouldn't let me tell her anything because I did um a class a while back to kind of get some information on being a death doula. And they did um, a section about kind of all the different disposition methods and things involved. And so a section of it was was on embalming, but Nikki wouldn't let me tell her anything. So she she wanted to hear it direct from a professional. Yeah, because I find it better that way than I know nothing. It's like a clean slate. So I guess like in one sentence, how would you describe your job? Oh, goodness. In one sentence... <laughs> or maybe two, three. <laughs> I mean, interesting and you never know what you're going to get and every single day is different and you got to be prepared literally for any situation. When I chose this profession, I mean, I came from a family of salespeople who work in cubicles and I just never gravitated towards sitting in one spot the whole day. I I wanted something completely interesting and off the walls and different than my family. And I mean, that describes embalming to a T. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely not traditional, I would say. Yeah, I do enjoy it, though. I mean, helping people is the biggest aspect of it. It's very hard to find people who say, I want to grow up to be an embalmer. But when you do find your (laughs) way into embalming, like you help people in the most gratifying way. and Literally, when you receive a hug from a family after like a long, strenuous time preparing their loved one and they with tears in their eyes, they hug you and say thank you. Like, that's literally why I chose to do this. It's it's just worth it. (laughs) I can see that and how that would be rewarding for you. You mentioned like it's not like a bunch of little kids run around saying like, I'm going to be an embalmer. So how did you get turned on to embalming? I'll tell you like exactly how I stumbled across it because usually people who end up being embalmers grow up in a funeral home and their parents, you know, run the funeral home. And they that's usually the scenario with most people who do this. But for me, 
I signed up for college and I was in school to be a physical therapist assistant. I got all my gen ed classes done and then I started an internship or job shadowing for that. And I just realized it just wasn't for me. I took a second look at the program list at my college and I literally just scanned from top to bottom every program that they had. And funeral services stood out to me. And I was like, that sounds unusual. So I decided to go to my local funeral home, introduce myself, and tell them that I was interested in attending a funeral services program at my college. But I wanted to like job shadow before I decided to jump in and pay all that money for college. I didn't know if I'd be scared if I saw a dead person. Yeah, I feel like I would feel a little nervous. Exactly. So I wanted to like validate my interest before I signed up. And at the time I was going to school in Florida and one of the local funeral homes down there let me shadow and everyone was so nice. And I got to see what funeral directors do. I got to see what embalmers do. And one thing that I noticed about when I um, spent time with the embalmers was that the people who work with deceased and don't meet with families, they are the funniest, most lighthearted people. Like, you couldn't get through it without just having a lighthearted attitude about things. I know it's kind of like an oxymoron, like, you, you don't think, like, lightheartedness and humor would go into preparing, you know, someone's loved one, but that's the only way to get through it. My personality is, you know, lighthearted, bubbly, like, I'm just naturally positive, so I really fit in with that category of a work environment. I decided to sign up for the program everything just kind of I don't want to say fell into my lap from there but I, I maybe I'd call it divine intervention I don't know it just everything <laughs> everything fit like it just fit and I'm very particular about my workplace and my work environment and I just knew it was right <laughs> yeah it's almost like you know certain people are made to do certain jobs and so like you were saying like you have to have the right um, personality and kind of mental, I don't know, fortitude to be able to do what you do. So it's, it's almost fate or however you want to look at it. Yeah, definitely. What would be the typical reason that an embalming is um, being done? Is it religious in terms of like, they're going to do an open casket? Like, what do you see like the main um, purpose behind it being? It's, it's a little bit, believe it or not, it's a little bit more simple than that. Like when a loved one passes away like you know they have all these plans of what they wanted maybe they wanted to be maybe the family wanted to cremate them but when when the time comes it's very hard to let go of you know not physically seeing them ever again so a lot mm -hmm. of the times families will just decide that they they want to bury their loved one rather than being cremated just because when the time comes, people just, they need to see it to validate the fact that this person has passed. So they will invest in embalming. For a sense of closure, to like visually close the door. There yeah. are um, instances where embalming is mandatory. Like if uh, someone passed away, let's say in like Florida, and they want to be buried in Colorado or something, um, if they cross mm -hmm. state lines, then they do need to be embalmed. Let's go through the process. Let's have you like step one. What do we do? Sure. I'll just walk you through my my specific process. You can do this process in any order. First, um, I would do what's called setting features. And that would be closing the eyes and the mouth. When we close eyes, we they're like little contact lenses with like little, like little tiny little I don't want to say spikes, but a little bit of a grippy contact lens and we just pop it in the eyes and that keeps them closed. Depending on the person's mouth and their facial structure, I would either suture their mouth with ligature closed or I would use what's called a needle injector. It's like a wire. You inject a needle and wire into the top gum underneath the lip and the bottom gum underneath the lip and then you close the mouth and kind of tie the or um, twist the wires together so there's many ways you can close a mouth that is a lot more than i ever thought even just this step one so yeah you'd use your judgment and figure out how you want to close the mouth and 
after the mouth is closed, you're going to have to just make sure that like the line of lip closure looks good. Let's say someone someone passed who didn't have any teeth or they wore dentures mm. or something. And you close their mouth and it just, you know, doesn't look right because they don't have their teeth or, you know, whatever the situation may be. There's two ways that you can fix that problem. And what I do is I take cotton in the embalming field. We call it Webrol. I would take some Webrol and I would I would place it inside of the mouth wherever that the mouth needed building. Quick question. Why couldn't you just put the dentures in that they used to wear? Yeah, so you can. Sometimes they don't have, like the family can't locate them. The family doesn't bring oh, okay. them or they they died without them. And the removal happened before the family brings the teeth in. There's many scenarios. Yeah, okay. so I could either pack the mouth with Webrol cotton or um, some embalmers use what's called a mouth former. It's like a, it's like a plastic insert. That you um, mm. just pop into their mouth and it just makes everything look natural. Yeah, I was picturing like a um, like a night guard or like, you know, like the football mouth thing. Yes, that's the best. what I was picturing. That's what I was picturing too, Nikki, like a hockey player or something with the little thing. OK, I'm I'm ready for step two. <laughs> After that, I would fill my embalming tank with embalming fluid. Each type of embalming fluid has a different potency of formaldehyde. So I would take a look at the deceased individual and I would kind of evaluate, you know, how much formaldehyde I think that they're going to need and any like supplemental fluid I'll need to use depending on if they have jaundice, if they have edema. Is it true that there are different like color pigmentations like that you can make it like more pink or like if they're really tan that you can kind of make their skin have that tan look to it because part of the embalming fluid brings like color back to them is that right yeah so um there is some embalming fluid has dye mixed in and there are some embalming companies who make fluid that doesn't have any dye in it and you can just buy dye on the side and mix that into your embalming solution and there's many different color dyes and you are exactly right in that aspect Okay. And then the other one that I had heard about, um, that again, I don't know if it's factual, is that you can get scented embalming fluid. Yeah. What? <laughs> yeah. See, so Nikki, you love your pumpkin spice. You can, you can smell like it too. Oh, I like, I love cinnamon. I love that smell and strawberry, but I don't know if I want to like have people remember that. <laughs> That's something that typically only the embalmer would smell. Do you have to put a dye in the embalming fluid? Typically, it's kind of like an embalmer's evaluation. Families don't. They don't really get an input into that. Yeah. Unless they're picking the scent. Well, unless, well, truly, that's the good thing about this podcast is, you know, unless they're educated and unless they, you know, they're told that, you know, there's different types of dye and there's, you know. I'd never heard any of that before, and it was just so fascinating. Well, what if you're pissed at your loved one and you want them purple? I think you could do that. Yeah, yeah. whatever the family says, I would I would do my best to fulfill their wishes. <laughs> okay. Okay. Settling in. <laughs> Go ahead, Samantha. Your pick, your color, your smell. And you said how many gallons do you typically use? I mix my um, however many bottles of um embalming fluid I need, I mix that in with water until I hit about two gallons, depending on the size of the individual. Typically, it's like 50 pounds per body weight equals one gallon. So, you know, you'd have to evaluate that on a case by case scenario. Step three. <laughs> okay, should I buckle up for step three? I'm getting nervous. Three. Well, this is the main part. <laughs> this is where the actual embalming would take place. Typically, every embalmer will start with a um, incision on the like the right clavicle. the The muscle in your neck is the SCM muscle. It leads down to like your collarbone on the right side, and we would uh, make an incision, a very small incision on that collarbone. I'm touching that part of my neck right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that would be where the embalmer would locate and raise the carotid artery and the jugular vein. Once we locate the carotid artery, we tie 
two pieces of ligature around it, one on the top, one on the bottom. And um, we would do the same with the jugular vein. And they're typically right next to each other. I wouldn't say typically, they're always right next to each other. <laughs> From there, we would make a small cut in the carotid artery and we would insert the arterial tube. The arterial tube is attached to the embalming machine with all of the fluid in it. We put it in the carotid artery and um, we secure that, tie, tie the bottom string around it so it doesn't pop out. That's going to be the point where we inject the embalming solution. And while we inject embalming solution, we have to drain the remaining blood from the deceased. So we would have to make a small cut in the jugular vein. And we would put, I like to use, um, they're called drainage forceps. We would put some sort of embalming instrument, depending on the embalmer. You insert that into the jugular vein, open up the vein, that establishes drainage and the blood pours out of the jugular vein and I would turn the embalming machine on. Formaldehyde would be injected while the blood was drained, all from that one incision. And that that is how arterial embalming works. Oh, yeah. So why why do you have to get rid of the blood? Yeah, so formaldehyde, when it mixes with blood, it turns, uh -huh. it turns like gray, like the whole body will turn gray. Okay. Yeah. You don't want that. No. And it's also just, it's just more sanitary to, to clear out all of the blood. So is every drop of blood gone? I wouldn't say every, every drop. I would say the majority. From there, um, embalming fluid is injected for about 15 minutes or so. That, that process would be completed. And there are many scenarios that can play out during embalming, like if an individual had circulatory problems in their lifetime, um, that can showcase an embalming as to where, let's say, a, a person had diabetes, their toes didn't get circulation when they were alive. It would be the same instance um, when they're deceased. There's um, alternate measures you can take to make sure, like if you see a body part's not embalmed, then... Um, you would have to raise an artery closest to that body part and inject that body part on its own. Um, if you have a really good embalming, you only have to make the one incision. What's the most number of incisions you've had to make? Yeah, well, that's a good question. <laughs> so the most that I've ever had to make is six. So I was thinking like way more than that. So that's actually good. Well, um, embalming terminology, it would be called a six point or a multi point. So that would be an incision on the right collarbone, on the left collarbone, right inside of the arm, left inside of the arm, the right thigh and the left thigh would be the maximum kind of each limb and each side of your head. <laughs> I mean, I'm picturing myself and let me just tell you, I, I can't be an embalmer. I know that for a fact now. Like when you're when you're doing these incisions and things like that, like does that ever freak you out? Well, that would, in my opinion, that's when you figure out if you're cut out for it or not. Yeah, I really would think it would. <laughs> yeah. Well, in my case, like the first time I've seen anyone do this and like I wasn't scared or nervous, like all I could think about was science. Like that's when I knew yeah, I should really? go to school. Yeah, that's when I, I knew that I should go to school for this because... I do know that it's not typically something that people would be okay with seeing every single day, yeah. but it took me a while to realize that my mind is just like science-based. <laughs> As time goes on, like things get easier, arteries get easier to find and the process, you know, you learn a lot and, but believe it or not, there is more steps to the embalming process. I was going to say, Nikki, you're, we're not done yet. So hold oh on, girlfriend. Oh, my God. I thought step three was it. No, we're, we, we're still on the train. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> okay. I, I just boarded again. I'm back on. Okay. So after the arterial embalming is done, we have to do what's called cavity embalming. When we um, embalm the cavity, we do that on its own by itself. And the way that we do that first, um, we have to aspirate. What that means is, I sure hope this isn't too much to say on a podcast, but 
Nikki could pass out and I still want you to keep going. Yeah, well, I, mean, I love it. <laughs> it's all about education here. So Nikki can suffer in silence for educational purposes. That's right. We do have to insert a trocar into the cavity. What does a trocar look like? I'm trying to picture what you're doing. Could you describe that? Yeah. So a trocar is like picture like a pencil, but way, way bigger and, and way longer. Like a straw kind of? Yeah, it's hollow in I the middle. I picture like when you get like your fat sucked out. What is that? Liposuction? I mean, yeah. that could be very similar. I don't know too much about that, but I mean, same concept. So this trocar is inserted into each one of the organs and we do have to drain each organ or else, you know, that'll sit and decomposition can happen through each organ. So after um, I aspirate, I would suture my incisions and then I would um, insert the cavity fluid. From there, we kind of plug that hole up. Now, is that because so that like um, fluid doesn't get c- come out? Yes, exactly. Nikki, sorry, I'm going to make her go graphic here, but there's more than one place that you have to close up holes. Is that correct? Um, well, if I just had to use that one incision on the right collarbone, then I would just need to suture up the one. But if a person, you know, was a six point, then I'd have to suture up all six before I inserted the cavity okay. fluid. I had heard like that they um, put like tampons up like your bum so that fluid doesn't leak like leak out. I haven't heard of anyone using a tampon for that, but I suppose you could. Yeah. So we have what's called an AV plug. It's like a it's like a plastic plug. Yeah, like a cork, like a wine cork. Like exactly, exactly. And you don't always you don't always have to use those. And what about for females? Do you have to close? The vagina. Oh, my God. You just said vagina. I just said <laughs> vagina on the podcast. I'm just curious because if you have to close the one hole, do you have to close the other one? Yeah. Well, not not in my experience. OK. The reason we don't is because when we aspirate, we aspirate the bladder. So you can typically drain the mm. bladder that way. There's no like none of the embalming fluid is like gushing out. No, no. Okay, that's what I was picturing. And yeah, like see, why you would what, even yeah, need to do that. Was that it was going to like gush out and leak out. So that But then I was thinking head, about your nose. It would it run out your nose? You guys are asking some good questions. I'm just <laughs> picturing every part of my body that could have embalming fluid coming out as we speak. Yeah, well, um in embalming there's oftentimes a a, a problem called purge. Purge can come from many different places, but let's say an individual had a big stomach and when they lay down, that stomach pushes down on their organs and fluid from their organs can can come up their esophagus Uh. and up through their nose. So that that can be a problem. Um, But we have a nasal aspirator, basically the same concept as aspirating the, the cavity, but you just put a different attachment on it and it can it can go down the nasal cavity and you can you can drain that out. I just didn't know that it was this involved. I thought it was just like boop, you just put a little formaldehyde in there. <laughs> yeah. There are some cases that are easier than others and like there was one time in my life I spent 7 hours on an individual and there there's been a time where I spent a half hour total on an individual. So wow. What in the seven hour case, what was causing you to spend so much time there? Um, As I mentioned earlier, there's just instances where embalming is just not feasible. But me being the extreme go-getter that I am, I'll try anyways. (laughs) That can be successful and sometimes it can be unsuccessful. It's just very important for the funeral director to um, look over the deceased individual before they meet with a family to give them realistic expectations as to if embalming is going to be acceptable and if they're a good candidate. Let's just say that you can't embalm them and it's just you can't do it. What would make it not possible? It can be all different reasons. There's definitely, as I mentioned before, there's instances where um, embalming is required for public health reasons. Um, If if they're in a specific condition. What would that be? Like if there's severe decomposition and the family still wants to have the individual present at a funeral service and the the public will be there, then we would have to do the best we can to to treat um, just for, you know, public safety reasons. So I have a question. 
but I'm going to write it down just because I want to continue walking through the process with you. So now where are we at in the process? Yeah. So from there is where I would wash everything up and make sure that the individual is as clean as possible, wash their hair, comb their hair out, depending on um, the, the state that they're in. Like if they're emaciated or they've lost way, way too much weight um, for them to be presentable for their funeral, then I would do what's called feature building. Some embalmers will do it before they embalm. Some will do it after. Some will do it when they dress. But feature building is a thing. And the easiest way to describe that would be like putting filler in someone's face. Like to plump it up. So would that like give them like that muscle structure in their cheeks again? Yeah, like more of like a lifelike experience. There's a fine line that you can walk with that because you don't want to go overboard with it. um, Because, you know, once you do too much, you can't undo it. Kind of like in life. I'm picturing myself doing like makeup or something where it's like, oh, let's just take off a little bit more. So you can't do that once it's in. No, once once it's in, it's in. So um, my motto was less is less is more with that. But, you know, what the, whatever the family requests. But most of the time, it's embalmers judgment. Families aren't too aware that feature building is part of our process. But that's the importance of this podcast is to educate the public on you know, what their options are when they do choose embalming. Yeah. One thing that's extremely common with embalmings is um, after they're embalmed, families will want to come in and dress their loved one. They'll want to do their makeup. A lot of the times they'll want to do their hair. Can you do that after you embalm? Because I don't know much about embalming. Does that make it to where like then you can prepare them? The embalming process basically just kind of dries everything up and hardens everything up. So it's actually easier to do, for me at least, it's easier to do makeup after things are dried up and preserved. Could you color someone's hair? Would Is that something a family would have you do is color someone's hair? Can you even do that at this point? So that's another really good question. We cannot um, color hair after someone has passed on because there's no warmth to process the color. It's one thing that's common. Um, I've never done this myself because I use a different option, but there have been hairdressers who have come in and done a rinse. I'm not too familiar with that process, but it's it's been done professionally by a hairstylist in my experience. But what I usually do is, you know that root touch-up spray that they have? Yeah. I typically yeah. just use that. Um, it works just as just as good. Believe it or not, that goes um, that goes along with makeup too. Um, a lot of the times, um, families will will come in and they bring the makeup that their loved one has used in their life. You know, they mm-hmm. want they want to use that foundation and everything. And although it it does work, like it it does work, um, but a lot of the times the next day little little discoloration spots could pop through the makeup because traditional makeup that you and I use that foundation it activates with warm skin as well that that helps set <clears throat> that helps set the makeup so what we have in the field is um proper mortuary makeup mm-hmm. that that works well with colder skin and keep in mind this skin um is going to be preserved and hard it's not like soft and pliable. So um, that mortuary makeup is, it's highly pigmented. There's many different types. What I like to use is the um, opaque, like highly pigmented makeup, but, but I like to be tasteful with it. You know, when you think of someone's makeup at a funeral home, you think, you know, you picture that there's just way too much makeup and they don't. Yeah. Like that's the typical picture. So you got to be very light handed with it. Is it like an airbrush? We do have airbrush, but the only time that I ever use it is if someone's skin is so fragile that I have to do their makeup without touching them. That's pretty rare, but families do come in and want to do makeup themselves. And whenever a family decides to do that, I always tell them that I really respect them coming out and showing their support in that kind of way, because that's. That's something that's so hard, but they'll remember it forever. Mariah, if you need an embalming, I, I can't be a part of your process. You're, you're going to leave. You're just going to leave me hanging. Huh? I will meet you afterwards. Okay. And I'll brush your hair. 
and <laughs> did that. But yeah. All right. I can respect that. I can respect that. So a person's embalmed. How long, I guess, are you preserved for? In funeral service, like the answer you're supposed to give to that question is you're preserved long enough for you to have your funeral. There are instances where, for example, in Hawaii, I do know that it's tradition for them to do an embalming and have a funeral months and months and months later. So the embalmer would have to use extremely high content of formaldehyde in order for that to happen. But typically, like here in Tennessee, families will have a funeral days after a person's passed, sometimes even the next day. We kind of coordinate the embalming fluid towards that. And, And then there are times where a embalmed person isn't aging so well and we push to have a funeral sooner. That happens rarely, but it does happen. But whatever the situation is, we calibrate the embalming process towards them lasting enough to have their funeral. I think it's important to just like clarify, like when you embalm a body, it's not like 200 years later, they could exhume you and you would look exactly like what you look like on the day of your funeral. It doesn't stop the decomposition process. It's just slowing it down. Yes, 100%. Okay, so like, let's get like, like, let's just say like the people in Hawaii where it's months later, are you now, are you, are you still being in the refrigerated or the embalming? You don't need that. I don't know if I can give a straight answer for that just because I've, I've never stepped foot in a Hawaii funeral home, but um, yeah, what, what I would think was that is that they, if they had the cooler space would be to put them back in the cooler. But I would say it depends on the, the funeral home and what they have available. But typically once a person's embalmed, they don't need to be in refrigeration. Like here in Tennessee, we embalm them and then we have them just kind of like in a holding room. Okay. Yeah. Cause my mom, she wasn't embalmed cause we cremated and my father-in-law, he wasn't embalmed cause he was cremated. But, and they both passed during, um, the height of like, um, you know, like the coronavirus and my mom's viewing that we had was relatively quick. She passed on a Friday and we had her viewing and cremation on a Wednesday. Um, but my father-in-law's things were even worse by the time he had passed. And we did his viewing. He wasn't embalmed and I thought he looked great to me. You know what I mean? Like I thought he looked really good and so did my mom. So that's why I'm like, I was setting myself up for, you know, weeks have gone by. I like mentally was preparing myself for, um, him not to look like himself, but he did. He looked fantastic. You know, that's why I don't get sometimes with the embalming. Why, why embalm and why not embalm? That's a really good question. And when it comes to uh, the way that a person looks before embalming, after they pass, it really is dependent on like a lot of like intrinsic factors and also like the environment that they are in and how, how long it's been since they've passed, such as like if a person took a, uh, plethora of medications during their their lifetime and then when they pass that can lead to things like edema or jaundice or just a certain content of water in their body and that can speed up the decomposition process so it really depends on the intrinsic factors of a person before they pass and also if somebody passed and it was really warm out and they weren't found for a day and then they were put into refrigeration it you know, it, it really it really just depends on factors like that. But for your case, it, it sounds like everything added up as to where he looked good. So, yeah, sometimes they don't, I guess, is what you're saying. And maybe that's other people's experiences and why they're trying to prep me for it. Like, oh, no. Yeah. Um, so we um, here in Tennessee, we have what's called an ID viewing, which is um, the It's kind of like an informal viewing of an unembalmed person for ID purposes. This is done on a cot. The person is as they came into our care. A lot of the times that things work out in their favor as to where the loved one looks really good and really peaceful. And I always tell that to families that, you know, don't get too worked up. Things are going to be okay. They look peaceful and it'll be all right. And there are cases where, um, they need to um, 
signed uh, authorization stating that they they I, I tell them that the their loved one doesn't look, you know, ideal and, you know, things didn't progress too well and um, and they want to see him anyway. So we they do have to sign a waiver of liability and things of that nature because things didn't work out in their favor. Oh, yeah. There are times where families just insist on it and it's just really, really not a good situation. But legally, we always have to say, yes, you can see them. But can you clean the person up a little bit before that or you have to show them as they came in? We have minimum prep, which is closing the eyes, closing the mouth, kind of wiping everything down. And what I do is I, I put a blanket all the way up to their chin. So, yeah, I would, I, would, I would call it minimum prep. Technically, in ID viewing, like I wouldn't I'm not required to close their eyes and their mouth. But, you know, for, you know, human to human, of course, Family. I'm always going to do yes. that. Yeah. <laughs> And the families probably appreciate that because that would be, I mean, I know for myself, if I saw that, that would be a memory that could you can't get out of your head. Exactly. And one thing um, I'd love to share with you ladies is that I graduated um, college in 2020 after about eight years of going to school. In 2020, you obviously know the pandemic hit and all the craziness and I had my national board exams after I graduated college in 2020 and national board exams are extremely stressful. So I was going through some extremely stressful times in 2020. And then, believe it or not, I had lost my little brother to suicide. I'm sorry. So sorry. Yeah. At 23, that was like such a whirlwind amongst graduating college and taking my boards. Yeah, it was it was insane. Definitely the worst part of my life. But one thing that came out of it, like it all just depends how you look at it when it comes to incorporating this like into the into my career. So when I talk with families, when I meet with families, if I know somebody is in for an ID viewing and an individual doesn't look so good. I can relate with them and I explain things to like a full extent to them. So they're fully aware of everything that goes on before they step foot in that room with their loved one. Um, So they're not caught off guard. Um, I go that extra mile when I do embalmings to make sure everybody looks as good as they possibly can. And that's great. It's a hard thing when people don't have someone that they've loved, like on a level of a parent, a sibling, or even a friend that's your best friend or whoever it is that you've been very close with when they pass. It's hard to put yourself in empathy of other people during that time, unless you've had something that kind of has rocked you to your core. Everyone, you know, talks about like, what's your why? Like, like, why do you do what you do? My little brother's name was Corbin and Corbin is 100% the why of why I make everybody look as good as possible. And my employers see that I go above and beyond. My family see that I go above and beyond. And it's like, that's that gift that Corbin gave to me is just caring to an incredible extent. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) If you have to take one good thing out of a tragedy, that's a great thing to take. Yeah. And like, I kind of realized how that's played a huge part in my life and like how my career has changed because of it. It's a huge motivator too. like my work never gets redundant. Like I'm, I'm always striving to make these families as comfortable as they can in an uncomfortable time. Oh, yeah. I would assume that most funeral directors or even people that work and do what you do would have to have some sort of reason like, you know, that they can do this for other people because it would be hard when someone huge in your life passes. You see things a little differently. Life kind of it does change. Good and bad. You know, the bad part is the sad part. And then the good part takes over eventually. But, you know, that's right. And it's like it's healing for me, like in some sort of twisted way. (laughs) I was telling uh, Mariah when we started doing this podcast, I'm like, you know, going through what I've gone through the past year and a half, it's been kind of therapeutic to talk to other people and they kind of have, you know, different stories, but also the feelings are always similar. The stories are always kind of different, but everyone's love and feelings are the 
the similarities. That's the thing about grief is like people who haven't had grief in their life, they don't know how to talk to people about like their lost loved one. And that's the that's mm-hmm. the most healing thing is talking about. That's the most healing thing. Like I wish we could break that stigma of, you know, never mentioning a person's name out of like not wanting to upset someone after they've died. Like share those stories, um, you know, show those pictures because I mean, that's how you keep a memory alive. Exactly. And kind of what you're doing is helping with that for families to give them that closure to then go to the next chapter of their grief. Yeah. You're helping honor their, their person, which is great. I think. Yeah. Well, thank you. Mari, you have a question? I do. I have a couple here. (laughs) No, you're fine. I have a couple here that I just want to go back to and um, ask about. You said that if the embalming is possible, so I guess I would be wondering as um, a potential family member, what are the limitations for that? I would say the easiest answer for that would be if there is like ex- extreme injury or if there is extreme decomposition. Those are the only two limitations. Okay. Have you ever had a case where you've had to turn one away? Not in my experience, but restorative art is a class that um, all mortuary science students take. And that teaches you a lot about, you know, if you do have a traumatic case and they do want to be embalmed, that class teaches you a lot about how to restore facial structure and how to, you know, sculpt a body part out of wax and that that kind of thing. So it just depends on an embalmer's skill level and what the funeral home can offer. And then in terms of like feature building, how limited are you in terms of that? Again, this is just very like uh, graphic, but like let's just say someone was in a car accident where like the side of their face was kind of pressed in. Is that something that you would be able to um, kind of reconstruct? Where Where is the limit? Where is the limit? That's another great question. Well, there is extensive circumstances that you can fix. If the skull is still intact and things are dried up enough for you to work with, then you certainly can sculpt. As you mentioned, that scenario, if an individual like had half of their face injured in a car accident, if the tissue is dry and there's enough there as to where you could um, use a base to sculpt on, then you certainly could just sculpt the rest of their face with photos. Can you explain to me? What do you mean by sculpting? Are you putting something on top of the skin or under the skin? Yeah. So um, what I would do in that scenario is I would use, um, it's called drying. I would use a ton of cotterant to make sure everything's dry. And then I would use that molding wax. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Mortician's wax. Like it's, because I mean, it's just like quick things that you can use it for. Like if you want a bullet hole or, you know what I mean? You want to, but also just, just so everyone knows Nikki's done, um, like special effects makeup. Yeah. So that's what I'm picturing. Like, I don't like just give people random people bullet holes just for fun. (laughs) But when we use that mortician's wax after a certain amount of time, because the, the skin is hot and you know, it starts to kind of melt and like, and lose its, its shape. So I would assume that on, skin that isn't warm, it stays put, right? That is such a great point that you brought up because that sculpting wax um, that we use in order for us to sculpt it, what I would do is I would heat it up with a blow dryer before I apply it. Yeah, to like make it pliable. Make it pliable. So I can exactly see why that wax would fall off of a live person on a movie set if their skin was warm because that's what makes it pliable. Yeah. (laughs) Even just when it comes out of the little tin, it's hard and you got to warm it up with your hands. So you heat it up and then you can kind of like form it to a cheekbone or whatever else. Yeah. And um, so if I were to do like a complete reconstruction like that, I would not use um, tissue builder because that's more just for kind of like filling in features like that's like minor Mm. reconstruction but a major reconstruction would be sculpting completely out of wax and there are instances where um you know you put wax and you recreate the face but then maybe they need an ear so you take a, a big block of wax and you sit down at a desk and you sculpt a really nice ear and then you take that on and you heat up the back of the ear. Okay, sorry. I have to interrupt again. No um, worries. <laughs> do you have like a mold or you're just like legitimately an artist and can free form an ear? 
myself, I've never used a mold. I always sculpt, but there are prosthetics that they do make, but that can get pricey for funeral homes. And those cases that need that, they're pretty rare. So it's not always feasible to invest in those. It's like, I can't make anything out of Play-Doh. So like here I'm thinking like, I have to like form an ear. I would be so screwed. You have to, once you have reference, like if you have a picture or like you have See, some artistic I can't bone. look at a picture and Play-Doh something. I'm telling you, we've played enough board games together that you should know that there's no way I could sculpt an ear. So Samantha, you're an artist because there's just no way. You do have to have some, some you know, a creative side to you. One thing I'll tell you, it's actually pretty funny. In my um, restorative art class back when I was in college, our final project was making a wax head. Believe it or not, I made a wax head out of my fiance. Oh my God. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. That's fascinating. I love that. So I can get into this part. Nikki, we can tag team. I can embalm (laughs) and you can do the restorative art because. Nobody I wants could do me to that. mold them anything. Yeah, I'll have to send you a photo of that project I did. We would love oh, I that. I love that. Okay, so that helps me answer that question. So you're you're basically forming on top of the skin, sh- like the shapes, and then you guys are going over with makeup. So really almost answering both those questions. It just kind of, it is very case by case and like what you guys are able to accomplish with wax definitely yeah it's it's just a case-by-case judgment for sure yeah do families ever ask you to like paint fingernails or like shave their body like their legs or like their arms or if it's a male like shave their face yeah so um I very often paint fingernails almost on every on every woman and then when it comes to like shaving a man's facial hair it's part of my I should have mentioned before I suppose it's part of my embalming routine to um find out from the funeral director you know if they want a clean shaven face for their funeral or if they want to go tea or this that or the other because if I shave after embalming they get way worse razor burn than any instance in life it's because you know, uh, the formaldehyde reacts when you um, use a straight razor on skin and the the razor burn just, it pops up way more. So I try and clarify what kind of facial hair setup they want to have for their funeral. I have to find that beforehand. Do women have you shave their like arms or legs? Well, there has not been a time where I've shaved, shaved um, arms or legs on a woman. There's been times where I've, I've had to shave women's faces before. I mean, I I can see that. that. Yeah, I get that. Especially because after like, if say they have darker hair, you know, like it would probably stand out even more after they've passed is what I would assume. And, you know, hormones change as we get older and. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever had families ask you to like cover up tattoos? Um, I've never had a family ask me to cover up a tattoo before. No, I've never come across that. I mean, I guess they're more accepted nowadays, but I feel like some parents would be like, oh, I hated that they did that. So like. I don't want that in the pictures or whatever. What about like positioning like the fingers or like the hands? Are you kind of like realigning so that they look natural? Yeah. So um, when I set up an embalming, I put an individual's arms on these little arm stands. And I do, you know how like in the movies you see a person with one hand over the other, kind of like on their Mm -hmm. lower abdomen? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I do have to set them up in that position before I embalm them because their arms will stay like that. Really? Yeah. So I do have to tilt their head a, a tiny bit to the right and I do have to place one hand over the other before I embalm. Why does it harden the body? That's just the way that the um, formaldehyde reacts with the proteins in our body. It it just tightens up the bonds when formaldehyde meets human deceased individual, it's it's kind of like a chemical reaction. Do you ever, like, because it's always in a liquid form, do you ever get, like, are people allergic to the formaldehyde or do you have to suit up for that whole process? Yeah. So um, when it comes to, like, my own safety, there are certain times where I'll have to wear a respirator because I know I'll be using a high content of formaldehyde and I don't want to breathe all that in. But during an average embalming, I won't always wear a respirator because um, 
each embalming room has to be up to code with their ventilation systems. There's a certain flow of air which pulls the air away from the embalmer and up into a ventilation fan. So I'm not always required to protect with a mask, but oftentimes I'll um, turn the fan on and I'll be okay. I do use universal precautions when it comes to like personal protective equipment, the gown and the gloves and you know, the normal protocol that one would use. But when it comes to the deceased person reacting like allergically with the formaldehyde, that, that yeah. has never happened. Um, that's, that's not typical. That's more of like, um, it, fe- it affects your quality of life. Like if you're exposed to it in your lifetime, but after death, it's strictly a preservative. It, it has no adverse effect. You know, I think that people don't know the dangers that go along with working with formaldehyde. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, um, I regularly get tested for tuberculosis and hepatitis. I go for routine checkups more often than than an average person just because I do have a dangerous Is that job. Is all the fluids? Well, I mean, I'm exposed to a lot of different diseases. So I do keep up to date with monitoring that. But that's something to be aware of for anyone who's thinking about um, becoming an embalmer. What about coronavirus? Has that done anything to your business? Well, there is no like concrete um, answer to that scientifically yet. But I will say in my experience, I have embalmed without a mask on, I want to say hundreds of deceased individuals, and I've never caught it from um, an embalming process. So yeah, but there's no like scientific proof of that just yet, but I'm sure there will be um, sometime in the near yeah. future. Kind of like those e-cigarettes are like, you know, after 20, 30 years, then they'll realize it's not great. And then they'll, you're already screwed yeah, you know, exactly. 30 years later. Samantha, I was curious if there is somebody that you have embalmed whose case has stuck with you? Um, I would say more so when I was a student. I would say the first person who I embalmed who was my age, that was kind of like a oh yeah, interesting thing to go through in your mind. Like, wow, mortality is real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, I bet that sets that home. Yeah. Do you ever, like when they come in, do you know their cause of death? Like, do you kind of carry their stories, do you feel like? Maybe this is why I'm cut out for it. But I have a line in in my mind that I draw as to where, I don't know if you want to call me a a master compartmentalizer, (laughs) but (laughs) I I can't, I can't carry it with me. It's just, it's part of my mental health. It's it's just where I draw the line. Um, One thing that I have learned from working in the death care industry is I've learned how to value my own life a lot more. I've learned to value each moment as much as I possibly can because I know this can end at at any age, at any time. I carry it with me in that way as a reminder to live my life every single day. I I don't know. It just teaches me a lot about life. (laughs) That's a beautiful ending to like your segment, truly. Like that's the best close I've ever heard. Yes. We can just close out by just a few little fun, easy questions, and then we'll let you get on with your evening. Sure. So this is one that we ask everybody. Um, If you had to pick a theme song for your job, what would it be? Oh, my goodness. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, man. I don't know. This is a tough one. I'll tell you why it's a tough one. It's because 24-7, the whole entire day, I'm blasting music, and it follows me everywhere that I go. And I have Pearl <laughs> Jam on most of the time. Love it. <laughs> I don't think I can narrow it down to one song, but I'm the music girl at work. So you can hear me coming. Okay. <laughs> what is something that you hoard? Oh, something that I hoard embalming fluid bottles, and I like to use them as flower vases. <laughs> <laughs> Recycle, reuse. That's great. Okay. Those will be antique one day. <laughs> Probably, right? Does it keep your flowers fresher? <laughs> oh, man. They're rinsed out. <laughs> what would your last meal be? My last meal would be mac and cheese. Craft mac and cheese? Or what are we talking? Is it like mom's mac and cheese? 
Oh, it's homemade mac and cheese. It's homemade, and maybe there's a little bit of breadcrumbs in there, maybe some bacon. Ooh, that'd be the greatest. Are you having a drink? What are you drinking? What about dessert? I want to say probably a strawberry margarita and some chocolate cake for dessert. I love it. What are some of your hobbies? Well, my number one hobby is working out. Just when I thought we could be friends, Samantha. You have to say working out. I wish I wish that was one of my hobbies, but <laughs> oh it's my just goodness. not. Well, believe it or not, um, the gym is like my outlet for all the craziness that works. Well, that makes sense. I feel like that goes hand in hand with mental health. So I'll let it slide. <laughs> what? profession would you tell dinner guests you do if you don't want to spend the night talking about your job? I say I work at a funeral home. But that doesn't get people excited too? That seems to be the furthest I can get away from telling them, telling them what I do specifically. They're like, so, so what do you do? I say I work at a funeral home. And they say, oh, what do you do there? And I'm like, oh man. Oh man. They're, they're going <laughs> to pin me down. <laughs> do you find that when people find out what you do that people just want to ask you a million questions? Yeah, well, it goes one of two ways. Number one, they'll just be like, look, start looking at me real crazy and then get a little weirded out. <laughs> or they're like you guys and they're real interested and they just, this, yeah. But most of the time they run away. That's funny. Do you have any talents that you consider useless? Useless talents. I can, I don't know if you've ever heard of like hemp jewelry. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I can make a crazy amount of hemp jewelry. And to be honest, that's how I learned like how to do crazy sutures. <laughs> <laughs> so you've been training for this your whole life. Yeah. And like when I was a kid, I would spend so much time on YouTube learning about makeup. And I'd go through all these weird phases of like doing the eyebrows too too dark and like experimenting with some crazy makeup. And now that I'm a mortician, I realize why. Well, Samantha, this was so much fun and I really enjoyed talking to you. Yes. Thank you. Yeah. You guys too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been interesting for sure. And I didn't get too squeamish. So we're all good. Well, that's, that's an accomplishment. Awesome. awesome. Thanks so much. We'll talk soon. Bye. Loved her. She literally has like three different jobs. And I'm proud of you. Like, I really thought that you were going to have a problem getting through, but you really did well. I thought it was going to be a little more graphic. It doesn't creep you out, though. Like, I mean, come on, like the sewing of your mouth shut. Yeah, I don't like that. Like, all I could picture was, who's the guy in Hocus Pocus? I know you know Yes. What's his name? Hocus. Billy. Billy. That's all that I think of. And I know you don't see the wires, obviously, but Uh it's just like. Something about yeah. having my mouth sewn shut feels <laughs> no. very like you're no. like taking my voice away. I don't I don't yeah, know. I don't, I don't like it. I don't like that. I really felt like it was Billy. And then when he had to like cut his mouth yes. open. Yes. And the moths yeah, come out. No. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I get the purpose of it, right? From like a cosmetic family viewing. I logically can wrap my brain around that. Uh-huh. But the act itself to me, just, I, I don't know. I don't like mm. it for some reason. It kind of like gives me the heebie-jeebies. I feel like the whole process is a little like violent. Like you'd yeah. have to like really stab. Yeah. Cause like, think about that. You have to like stab into the organ to like drain it. I was picturing like a liposuction. Yes. You know, you've and watched those are it aggressive. on like, it's like, yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah. When I'm watching liposuctions, I'm like thinking like how the hell is that not puncturing through someone's like spleen mm-hmm. and they're really getting it. Yeah. Like that, like needles, like gar, 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 yep. in there. Yep. Yep. Um, the butt plug stresses me out a touch. See, I'm really interested because it's like, I, I'm glad that she cleared that up because from what I understood, like everybody got a butt plug. And the vagina <laughs> got a plug. So I'm glad that she clarified You're that. You're killing me. <laughs> With the vajay. Sorry. <laughs> but JJ, what do you want me to call it? Your special You're killing part. me. That is more graphic to me <laughs> than this whole process. I'm sorry. In our household, we use the atomically correct things. I mean, vajay is just a really aggressive <sighs> But I mean, word it's a fair me. thought. It's a fair thought. Because you know... Stuff comes out. So you would think you'd have to close it up. 
I mean, if you oh have to plug God. your nose up, how do you not have to plug that up? What if it just closes on its own? <laughs> I mean, okay. There's just too many holes that need to be plugged. That's the thing. It's your just ears, like it's coming out of everywhere. Your nose. It's just like your eyes everywhere. Oozing out. Well, what about the pain head? The little dot. I'd see. I feel like pee. it wouldn't like leak out of there because for it to come out for boys, they have to like use their muscles. Well, I mean, I guess we use our muscles too. But Thank it, you. I feel like it's a bigger hole. It's just like open. <laughs> I don't know. It's also a hole. Is there a little know. peen plug? Maybe. Maybe there's a peen plug. Maybe. Or put a little wax on it. Just like <laughs> close it up. <laughs> I wish we would have asked her about the peen hole. Maybe I'll just send her a little follow-up text. Because that's we, also. We're not going to be able to sleep unless we know. I don't know. I mean, if you take apart all of that, right, and you, you don't focus on that bit. I picture it as if like, you know, cause I always go dark. So if it, something happened to my mm-hmm. kids and this was like my last chance to see them, like to be able to see them in a state that is like true to who they are and not what happened to them. Like that is such a beautiful gift. No, that is to have like your like last visual memory that you can file away. Because my experiences. Yeah. My experiences have never been scary, but now I know it could be. Not the case. Yeah, I mean, if something traumatic happened, like they were in a car accident or something and their body went through some sort of trauma. Everyone that I know that's going to be dying is just, they go night-night. That's it. We hope. (laughs) We hope. That's, that's That's the goal. But the way that she talks about it and the way that it's like paying tribute to her brother, like that's such a beautiful way for her, like you said, to find the positive in an absolutely horrible situation so good on her you know it's definitely a job that I didn't I didn't think that it did so many things like the sculpting like it's literally like she has four different jobs well I'm telling you there's no way I could sculpt I'm dead serious like I could probably get my way through the embalming but when it came to like re-sculpting a face you don't want me doing that you do not like if there was like a little ear mold and I just like cut it out like a cookie cutter Okay, sure. I could yeah. handle it. But like free handing somebody's face? No way. There's no way. You have to be somebody who like can manipulate that stuff and who's worked with those tech. Like, I just don't see how someone like me would ever survive that job. You never know. I think next time we're together, we're going to have to do like a Facebook live and we can mold an ear out of your lap. <sighs> oh my God. Yes. <laughs> we'll see if I could do I'll it. I'll send you some wax and we could see. Who really does like a better ear? I, could. I really don't think I could. You could do a nose. Start with a nose. We'll try. It's going to end up looking like Steve Carell's nose. Like very <laughs> triangular. <laughs> but I will say you're right. She's like multi-talented. There's a lot going on in her work day. Yeah. But I think the real final question that everyone wants to know is what scent do you want to smell like? Can you believe that that's an option? I don't know if I like that part. A little baby powder, new car smell. Like I'm telling you at the car wash when they're like, what smell do you want? I'm like, like, I'm always, I'm always torn between lemon or strawberry. I don't know which one. I like a lemon. It's fresh. Or I go with like coconut tropical. No, that's too coconutty. And then what happens if they put too much lemon and then now I'm gagging on lemon Lemon, for like a week. Yeah. So then I usually go with strawberry because it's more subtle, but then sometimes it's not as strawberry as I like. So it's a big dilemma. And this is your final smell. You're going to smell like this forever. Eternity. That's my final smell. That's a lot of pressure. That's a toughie. Yeah. I don't think I want the smell. Yeah. I was shocked that that is a, that's an option. Yeah. No. But again, again, if you listen to how she explained it, if you have a body that's gone through severe decomp, logically makes sense for a need for a body fresh. Well, see, that's when I, okay. And then that's maybe when I would bring in the smell. Right. So like, like it seems extreme when it's out of context, but if you put it into context, it's like, yeah, you just put it into context. Yeah. Now that you just said it like that, then lemon scent isn't so bad. Well, lemon poppy seed muffin. Easy peasy. (laughs) I'll let Ryan know, but I don't know if I want to be, I don't think I want to be embalmed. If we're, if we're talking, I have to make the decision. I don't think I want to. I don't either. I really don't either. I don't see the need for it. But again, I feel like it depends on the circumstance, right? Because if I die in my sleep and my kids want to see my body and it's calm and it's peaceful and it's 
we get to say goodbye to mom. I'm all for it. Yeah. If something traumatic happens to me and they still want that sense of closure, then yeah, I don't want them to see my banged up body. You know, I want them to see <sighs> something that is going to bring them a little bit of peace. So again, I'm going to have to tell Will it's discretionary, but I don't <laughs> want it. <laughs> yeah, I guess it would have to be situational. Yes. Because it's just like, yeah. Because think about it. If you were in a bad car accident, I just picture it like I'm going to be like Snow White, like night night. Not if you were like in I've a car I've never pictured, accident. but I've never pictured that. I don't think that's my path. Well, I hope that it's not. <laughs> I hope that it's going to be peaceful and beautiful. Yeah. Even in a car crash, I just think it's like, good night. No, my mom has literally terrified me because ever since I got my driver's license, true story, every time I would leave the house, she'd always be like, make sure you have clean underwear on and that you're shaving because if something happens to you, you don't want to be embarrassed. No joke. Oh, really? So I've always thought about it because I'm like, I don't want to be dirty. <laughs> no, I've never thought about that. And you should see half the time I get in the car. I'm like, a hot mess. today's not the day. Yeah. Half the time, I don't know where my shoes are. We'll see. No. And then I'm like praying to God there's sandals underneath my my seat. And then when there's not, I just don't get out. Like at school drop off. If I ever anything happened between the morning and school drop off in the state that my clothes are in and the way that I look, it's not a reflection of who I am. You're going to be like, look at my mom. Such a bum. She hadn't even brushed her hair, or her teeth. Like, great. Seriously. It's <laughs> a mismatched clothes. Half the time, no bra or like I'm too lazy to even just like take the top off to put the bra like fully on. So then the straps are just <laughs> hanging. Then I, oh, that's the best. Because then I'm like, I'm going to be home in five minutes. Yeah. You're just like so, quickly covering the girls what's up. What's the point? Yeah. Yes. Maybe tomorrow at drop off, I will put the bra on. That's a big commitment. I mean, tomorrow could go <laughs> crazy. We all know how getting out the door on a morning is. All right. Well, well, we'll see who's who's next on our list. All right. I loved her, though. She I thought great. she was great. All right. Well, until next time. All right. Bye. Thank you so much for listening and supporting us. We do encourage you to follow us at Instagram at Body to Burial. Hit us up on Twitter at Body to Burial. And you guessed it, you can send us an email to hello at bodytoburial.com. If you have any guest suggestions, just let us know. Please hit the subscribe button or follow button on whatever app you are listening to. Thanks so much, guys. See you next time. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.